Good morning. Good morning. So good to see you all. Greetings from the Lekla, Lekla family. And uh, you should see them up there uh, in just a second. They all wish they could be here with you guys. They love King's Cross. Uh, we actually moved from Minnesota two years ago. And uh, part of that process was, well, we moved to help plant a church in college area called Center City Church. And King's Cross uh, church was hugely influential in the planting of that church. And while we were here, uh, my kids uh, ran and rampaged all over this property for those two months. Um, didn't break anything, I don't think, thankfully. I did. Okay. Yes, we did. Uh, but they were gracious and, and we didn't have any money to pay for it. So uh, it was all good. But uh, we are uh, a church now in uh, college area, and I just want to greet you on behalf of Center City Church, who is uh, worshiping right now uh, King Jesus. And it, a lot of that is because of uh, the, the impact we had from King's Cross. And, and I remember the last Sunday we, we were here, and we stood up here in Obed, and Dan and, uh, laid their hands on us and, and uh, sent us out with prayer. And I remember looking up, and there were, there were probably about 60 to 70 people kind of right in here, and maybe maybe there's 80, and about 20 of them were our people. <laughs> and I was thinking, why is King's Cross doing this? Why would they send, uh, why, would they, why would they want to incubate a small little church when they're just a three, four-year-old, five-year-old church? Like, that just doesn't make any strategic sense if you're trying to grow your own church. But here's the thing, friends, and this is what King's Cross has uh, learned, and if you look, what you'll see is that you cannot outmission Jesus. You cannot outmission Jesus. Jesus is on mission through you to bring his name glory in this place, in PB. And you keep living on mission for him, and he will keep doing it through you. It's just what's going to happen. And so we are so grateful to report back that, um, that God is uh, living on mission through Center City. And pray for us. Pray that we would be uh, that we would be living for Christ and centering on Christ as a church. So, this is the task I was given this morning for the sermon. I was uh, tasked to preach on a, on a text uh, out of Proverbs on parenting. And it might not look like it based on the, the you know, lack of kind of facial hair in certain places, but I do have four kids, okay? And they're younger, but they, uh, they are all, and they're all delightful, as you see up there, um, my wife Betsy is a wonderful mother to them. And, uh, and, and yet, uh, what I've learned is that parenting is hugely rewarding and incredibly difficult and complex. And it, as parents, it's easy to go to seminars, uh, go to wiser parents that are older that have been there, to read books, or even to look at the Bible. And as Americans, what we look for is we look for an A- plus B equals C strategy for parenting. So if I do these things, then my kids will turn out right. They will turn out the way I want them to. And here's my main concern. I'm going to give you my sermon in just 15 seconds. And then I'm going to preach for another 30 minutes. Sorry. When we look at Proverbs, Proverbs are extremely helpful principles. But they should cause us not to say, got it, all right, now I can go and do that and get the outcome I want. Instead, Proverbs should always cause us to posture ourselves in a desire for God to give us wisdom, more and more wisdom. 
Proverbs should create a humility in us that says, I can't do that apart from God. I need him. And when we do that, and we look to God, this is what we're going to see. We're going to see Christ. Because Christ is our wisdom. And Christ will not leave us. And so we are hoping in him as we look at these proverb, as, at this proverb. And hopefully we'll learn some helpful principles along the way. So let's pray. And then we'll take a look. Father, thank you for this church family. Thank you for the newcomers here. I pray that they would feel welcomed. I pray that they would become part of this family. Uh, and not just part of this family, but a part of God's family if they don't yet know Christ. Father, I pray that you would, by the power of your spirit, illuminate the truth that you want us to see in this word. Thank you so much that you are committed to the fame of your name more than we are. So help us now, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, Proverbs 22, verse 6. Turn with me there. All right, let's read, let's read Proverbs 22, verse 6 together. Parents, everyone, let's listen. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. All right, I'm actually, my, my, thing is not working. So I'm going to use my phone. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm, uh, I don't yet need glasses. So I'm going to do this. This is why you print your manuscripts, probably. Yeah, you can, you can mess with it. Thanks, so good. Thanks. All right, good. I'm, I'm, I'm on my phone now. So here, here's, here's what I want us to see. Three things for those of you who are type A and like outlines. Number one, uh, our parenting has impact, okay? What we see in this text is that we have impact on children. Number two, we must train them. We must train them. And number three, we need wisdom. Number one, we have impact. Number two, we must train them. The training we must give to them. And number three, the wisdom we need. So let's first talk about the impact we have on children. So this is really, there's two parts in this verse that I want us to see. Part one, uh, we're actually gonna start with is at the end. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Okay, so there is a training that impacts our children in a way that they're not going to leave when they're older. And, you know, my, my wife and I, we actually went through foster care training. We were foster parents for a while and, uh, before we moved here. And the thing that shocked me in our training was all of the data and science behind uh, child development early on. Like, I already had two kids, and I was shocked by how, uh, how important the early stages of child development are for the long-term uh, flourishing and thriving of kids. It's incredible. It's like almost uh, nerve-wracking as parents. Like, oh my goodness. Like you hold your kid, you look at your kid with a little bit more fear and trepidation. Like I, I have huge impact on this child 
even when they're like in utero or just a few days old. And then I started to think about my own life and think about my parents and all the impact they had on me. And uh, is it going? Oh, look at that. Brilliant, Obed. King's Cross IT. Oh, oh. All right. So the, the, the thing that, the th- you know, so I grew up in central Wisconsin, um, the land of cheeseheads, Packer fans, and all that nonsense. And, uh, and I'm a Viking fan. Okay, and the reason I'm a Viking, Minnesota Viking fan football team is because my dad is a Minnesota Viking fan. And early on, at the very early stages of my life, I can remember listening to Viking games on the radio, listening, watching Viking games on television. And here's the thing. I don't want to be a Viking fan anymore. It is so painful. And yet, no matter how hard I try, I cannot depart from it. It is, it is in there. And, and, my, and my dad even, it's so funny, he'll be like, we're done, James, we can't do it anymore. We're, we got to go to the other side. And, he, and the, the next week, we're like screaming at the TV for the Vikings to win. And so the, the reality is we cannot depart from much of our early training. And that's what the, the proverb is saying, is that early, our, we have huge impact on our children. And, you know, thankfully, my dad didn't just impart his love for the Vikings, but he imparted his love for God's word. I remember waking up early in the morning to go to school, and almost always I would see my dad on the couch reading his Bible. Late in the evening, we would get done with supper, and then he would ask all the kids and my mom to sit down on the couch, and he'd read the Bible to us. We did not always like that. In fact, we most of the time did not like that. We wanted to be doing other things other than reading the Bible, and yet it was ingrained into me. So as I got older, as I, as I grew up, there was just something in me that said, this is where I need to look for wisdom. This is where I need to look. It just was in there. And, and I'm so thankful for that. So we need to know the impact we have on our kids is great. And I just want to pause and say that I know that for some of you, you're sitting here and you're probably thinking, yeah, I'm in this church right now because my mom and dad or my grandma or whoever, you know, whatever uh, trained me, they brought me to church. And you might not even want to be here right now. <laughs> but you just know, man, I need to show up on Sunday. Like Obed said, this is the, the, something's going to change in me if I show up. And then there's others of you. There's others of you who did not have that. In fact, you maybe had very difficult upbringing, very traumatic upbringing. And this verse might feel almost condemning. Like, man... I, I know all the demons in my past, in my family's past, and, and, and I feel like I cannot depart from them. And yet here's the, the beautiful reality, friends, is that this proverb is a principle. It's not a promise. Our fate is not sealed by our upbringing. Our fate is sealed by a sovereign God who loves you. Our fate is sealed by a sovereign God who loves you. So no matter where you're coming from, this is showing us principles, but it is not the promise that ultimately God puts on your life. He loves you and he's for you. So we know that we have impact on our children. I don't have to convince many people of that. So a lot of times people go then, okay, so how do I have the best impact on my kids? What is the way that I need to train them in order to impact them in the right way. And that's what we're going to look at next. And this is going to be the majority of our sermon is going to be looking at the training we must give because it's the main point of the text. So we're going to look at it. 
We're looking at part two now. Train up a child in the way he should go. Train up a child in the way he should go. And I want us to see kind of four ingredients of training that you don't see in this text if you just read it straight away. If you look at it, you're like, okay, I don't really know where you're getting this, but we're going to dissect the text. We're going to really dissect it, which is what you can do when you have a tiny text, which is great. And we're going to see four elements of training. Number one, dedicating our children. Number two, knowing our children. Number three, teaching our children. Number four, correcting our children. Dedicate, know, teach, correct our children. Let's start with dedicate. And you might look at this text and you say, James, dedicate is not in the text. You're making that up. I'm not, okay? I'm no Hebrew scholar, but I did do a little bit of look at the Hebrew, which is the, or the original language of this text. The word for train, when it says training, train up, that word actually means to dedicate. It's actually only used five other times in the Bible, and the other four times, it's, it's dedicate. Here's, here's an example in 1 Kings 8, 63. Solomon, who by the way is the one that's writing this, proverb, Solomon offered to the Lord a peace offering of 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. That's a lot of sheep and goats, let's just be honest. And so the king and all the people of Israel dedicated, same word as train here, dedicated the temple of the Lord. So as an act of worship to God, Solomon, who's the author of this proverb, when they built the temple, they dedicated the temple to God with a lot of sacrifice. Okay, so why would why would Solomon use that same word here for our children? It's because Solomon knows, as parents, it is so difficult, even though these are our children, it's so difficult to know that they're not our children. Psalm 127.3 says that children are a gift from God. They're created in God's image. They're not our own. We are stewards of their lives. And so step one, as a parent, is to dedicate our children to God. To say, God, this is your child for your purpose. So hard for me to do. And yet it's what, the, the, what Solomon is giving us ancient wisdom to do. So I know you guys dedicate uh, children here. I know you just did a few weeks ago. And that is great. That is not exactly, that's partially, but not exactly what he's talking about. He's saying daily, consistently, constantly, dedicating your children to God, giving them to him and saying, this child is yours. So after we dedicate our child to God, then what we need to do is we need to know our children. Now again, you might look at the text and say, James, I, I don't know where you're seeing that, but I want you to track with me here. So actually when it says, train up your child, children in the way they should go, that word should in that verse, it's not actually there. Okay? That's put there to try to make greater sense of the whole verse, but that word's not, good, not actually there. It's actually to train up the child in their way. So what does their way mean? Well, commentators go back and forth, but one of the interpretations, which I think is helpful, is to know the way that God created that child uniquely so that you can prepare them for the purposes God has for them. Every child is created in the image of God with unique personality, unique passions and strengths, and unique proclivities and struggles, okay? Theodore, my son, my oldest son, introverted, mathematician, loves to just read and learn. Nancy, 
my, my oldest, I had somebody that said, remembered my kids, and she's like, Nancy, yes, yeah, she, man, she's a talker. <laughs> she will make you feel in two minutes like you're the most important person in the world. And she is so sweet and, and lovely. And then Brexton, the beautiful combination, my, my adopted son of tough and tender. Just like, I've never met anybody more tough, like can run up against a brick wall, cry for a second, then turn around and be like laughing in the sweetest boy ever. And then, and then my youngest, Phoebe, just quiet, observant, compliant, but super inwardly passionate and strong-willed. God has given me each one of these children uniquely, not for me to suppress my own vision on their life, but to know them, to learn them. And so really, we are to do what in Hebrews it says, Hebrews 10, 24 says this, and he's, the, the writer of Hebrews is writing to the church, but we can apply this principle to our children. Let us consider one another, how to stir one another up to loving good works. So for our children, we are called to consider them, to know them, to really observe them, be present with them, so that we can stir them up to the loving good works that God has called them to do. That is a huge part of our training. So we must dedicate our children to God, knowing that they are his, and then we must know our children and, and understand them and who they are uniquely so that we can train them up in the way they should go. But, but now we really have to get to the more controversial part of the text, okay? We're going we're gonna to talk about some maybe elephants in the room. And uh, I, I, yeah, is this being recorded? Uh, okay, we're good. So we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about teaching and correcting our children. We're going to talk about the element of teaching and correcting because that's actually the, probably the most prominent aspect of the training here. And as we know, that is a very controversial topic in our day and age. Teaching and correcting um, or disciplining and instruction are kind of two sides of the same coin. The Apostle Paul said this to the, to the Ephesian church, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, that was New Testament training is based on Old Testament wisdom, which is you need to discipline and instruct. You need to teach and correct. And, and we're going to look at those two things now. So teaching, first of all. The, the interesting thing here is when we think about teaching, you know, uh, you, you, we, we all know this. Like when you have a little baby or a one-year-old, you don't sit them down with the King James Bible and start reading the King James Bible to them, right? Or, you know, when I was 15, my dad didn't bring out my five-year-old picture Bible with all the pop-up, you know, Jesus pictures and start reading that to me, right? Now, that wisdom is actually in here. The, the verse, and this is going to get really weird, but the verse is actually literally translated, train up a child in the way of their mouth. The way of their mouth. What does that mean? Well, what, what it probably means is that you train up a child in a way that, in, in, in the way that they can actually consume in, in bite-sized pieces. This is where my wife and I got in a lot of conflict, okay? Because I am a very anxious person. So at the age of one, we start giving our kids food and my wife is slinging them like full, you know, grapes and things of steak. And I'm like, baby, we need to like cut these things up, blend them up a little bit and like let them eat it. But the, the point being is that this is, a, this text is actually saying in the original language, you need to train up a child, teach them in a way that they can 
actually take in, that they can chew on. And what ultimately is our aim of all of this? Like, what are we actually training them towards? What is the goal? We find it at the very beginning of Proverbs. If you're going to take all of Proverbs, all of this wisdom, all of this teaching that parents are supposed to give, and you say, okay, there's so much here, talking about money, talking about relationships, talking about all this stuff, it's overwhelming. What is the, if I just, can you just boil it down to the main point? It's this, Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. All of our training is aimed at that. We want our children to fear the Lord. We want them to fear the Lord. And you might think, well, that is weird. Why would we want them to be afraid of God? We don't want them to be afraid of God, do we? That's not what fear means. Fear means not to be afraid of God, but to rather be in awe of God. We want our children to be in awe of who God is. We want to teach our children in such a way in bite-sized ways for them, so that they go, God is awesome. We want to know them. We want to dedicate them. We want them to, we want them to hear every teaching in such a way where they go, God is so awesome. One, one pastor theologian said it like this, there is no sense in teaching kids how to do good if we have failed to lead them to worship the only one who is good. That's what we're after. And here's the thing that really convicted me this week. How are our kids going to know how awesome God is? It's going to be so much more through what we do than what we say. We can say all day long, God is awesome. But if in our lives, I'm spending far more time thinking about, talking about, engaging in projects around my house... What's awesome is my house. If I'm spending way more time thinking about, talking about, practicing baseball with my boys, what's awesome is baseball. Those are good things. But what is the best thing? What is the awesome thing? What is the thing that we want to train them in more than anything? It is that God is supremely valuable above anything else. And so that starts in our own hearts. What is most supremely valuable to you right now? I know a lot of you don't have kids yet. Or maybe your kids are out of the house and they're just observing your life now. What The question for you is, what are you putting on display in your life as supremely valuable? And if it's not God, then you need to rededicate your own life to him and say, God, I want you to be the one that when my kids, when any kid looks at me, says, man, God is awesome. So the reality is our children are made in the image of God. They're sponges. They're going to take in what we teach them and what we do. But not only that, the, the harsh reality is, is just like all of us, our children are filled with foolishness. <laughs> okay, sometimes that's more evident than other times. Um, oftentimes Sunday mornings, it comes out quite a bit in our house. Um, but our children are filled with foolishness. And, and foolishness is literally just the opposite of wisdom. In other words, our kids have a proclivity towards centering themselves, not on God and his awesomeness, but our kids have a proclivity towards centering themselves on themselves, right? It doesn't take a rocket science to watch a two-year-old and say, 
man, they're selfish. Okay, that is, that is the reality of all of us and our ki- kids, and that's where this, the last ingredient of correction comes in. This verse, actually some commentators, again, I told you we are going to be dissecting this, some con- commentators actually say that the way you could read this verse is the photo negative of the positive. You could, it could say, if you train up a child in their foolish way, if you let them go in their foolish way, guess what? They're not going to depart from their foolishness. Kids don't, you, you, a lot of times we like to say, oh, they're going to grow out of it. Kids don't grow out of foolishness. People don't grow out of foolishness. It is in us. It says in Proverbs twenty-two fifteen, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And so that's why we need to correct. Teaching is aimed at instructing them towards a particular good way. Correction is aimed at redirecting them towards a not good way. And the Proverbs has so much to say about correction. Get ready for the elephant in the room. Here it comes. Proverbs 19, we're going to read three um, verses. Look at the screen with me. Discipline your children, Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. Proverbs 22, 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. And then Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Okay, so there's the elephant. Rod of discipline. That is a term that for many of us, when we hear rod of discipline, we think uh, uh, um, spare the rod, spoil the child, and there's a lot of really bad stories of abuse that circulate around that, and, and that is sad. And yet there is a principle here that God is wanting us to get at that we need to, we need to really understand. And so I'm going to actually read a quote. Listen in closely. This is a quote from, I thought, a really helpful theologian speaking to this word. Um, what does this rod actually mean? So listen in. The word rod indicates a thin stick or switch that is used to inflict a small amount of physical pain with no lasting physical injury. It should go without saying that a child should never, ever be bruised, injured, cut, or anything like that by a physical corrective measure. The Bible actually warns that parents should never abuse their power and authority over their children. Discipline, physical or otherwise, should not be abusive, unfair, administered in anger, but rather discipline should be done in love with purpose and under control. The primary point of the biblical proverb is that loving discipline benefits the child. So the point is this. Correction is intended to wake up our children to their foolishness. It's intended to make them go from, okay, I'm just doing my own thing, to, oh my goodness, I'm not the center of the universe. That is the point of correction. And sometimes, in, according to the pro- Proverbs, it takes something that stings in order for that to do that. Not always physical, but, but something that causes them to wake up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you into the Leckler home for a second. And this is, a, this is just one situation of many that we run across, and I fail oftentimes. But here's, just a, here's a situation. So my youngest, Phoebe, she's two, sweetest little girl. Super hard to discipline in any sort of way, right? It's like the hardest thing when your kids are cute is to discipline them. So, but um, Phoebe has graduated from her crib to a big girl bed. 
And in her big girl, big girl bed, she can now get out of the big girl bed anytime she wants at night. But we have told her, Phoebe, you cannot disobey mom and dad. You need to stay in the big girl bed. But however, the problem is, is every night I'm doing dishes pretty much. I'm washing the dishes, talking to my wife, and pretty soon we'll feel this presence behind us. It's not an ominous presence, a scary presence. It's a cute presence. And, and my wife will just look at me without us even looking back, and she'll go, it's Phoebe. So then I'll, I'll wipe off my hands, and I'll turn around, and I'll look at her, and I'll try not to smile, and I'll say, Phoebe, and she knows, say, Phoebe, come with daddy to the bathroom. And so we'll go to the bathroom because that's the, that's the place of correction for us. And this is where I try to add those, I try, by God's grace, and it doesn't always happen, those four elements. So I say, Phoebe, God gave you to me. Okay, I'm dedicating her right in that moment. God gave you to me. You're not, you're, God wants me to teach you to obey. And, um, and I know you don't want to be alone in bed. There, I'm knowing her, right? I know you want to be with mom and dad, and I love you, and we want to be with you. But Phoebe, did you obey or disobey mom and dad? Here's the teaching, right? Okay, you, God tells you to, to obey mom and dad. That shows a humble heart. Did you obey or disobey? Disobey. Hey, Phoebe, what happens when we disobey? Spanks. Okay, so then I gently pick her up, say, Phoebe, we're going to do two spanks, bend her over my knee, give her two quick spanks, just enough where she feels it, and then put her down. She cries for a second, wants to hold me, and say, Phoebe, let's, let's ask God to forgive us, and, let's, let, and ask, let's go and ask mommy to forgive us. And she does that, daddy, sorry, mommy, sorry. And then, Phoebe, let's go back to bed. She runs back into bed. Okay, that's on our best moments. <laughs> the worst moments, I won't tell you those, um, but they're there. But the, the reality is, is that uh, correction is so incredibly important to open our children's eyes to the world is not, at, they are not the center of their own world. God is. I'm not at the center of their world. God is. And the reality is I struggle with that. And I see a lot of parents struggling with that because the balance of teaching and correction is incredibly difficult. I know, and I'm going to talk about two ditches here, I know a lot of parents that really struggle with something called child-centered parenting. Okay, child-centered parenting is where I need my child to be happy with me and love me. So I will teach them, I will love them, I'll give them guidance, but everything is a yes. Everything is a, you know, maybe this, maybe that. There's no correction. And what happens is our children never learn that they're not the center of the universe. And that is a very difficult thing to depart from later on in life. Okay, but then there's the flip side. There's also parent-centered ditch. And the parent-centered ditch says, my children are meant to be my convenience and to put, make me look good at the grocery store and at the park and in church. And so I'm going to whip them into shape so that, and I'm going to correct them until they submit almost like a puppy so that they do what I want them to do so that I can look good and I can maintain my, my me time, my comfortable space. And both of those, whether it's Parent-centered or child-centered, neither of those are what the Proverbs are offering to us, what, what the Bible is offering to us. What the Bible is offering to us is a God-centered approach, a God-centered approach that says, this child is his, he created them in his image for me to know and love, 
He has given me his word to teach them about how awesome he is and then to correct them back to how awesome he is over and over and over and over again. That is, that is the wisdom, the ancient wisdom of this proverb. And yet, like I said early on at the very beginning of the sermon, and this is where, I, this is if there's anything you can hear, because I, I know that there are parents in this room that have kids that are, they are just going way far away from the way they wanted to teach them, or wanted them to go. And I know that there are parents right now, or even people that aren't parents yet, they're like, I don't even, I cannot imagine being a parent because, man, it just, I'm so nervous that I would screw up my kid. I'm so nervous I'd screw him up. And so this is where we need to know where we need to look for wisdom. This is the last point. Where we need to look for wisdom. When we, as Americans, get an A plus B equals C approach, it's so easy for us to then say, okay, I'm going to do what James says. I'm going to dedicate him. I'm going to know him. I'm going to teach him. I'm going to correct him. And then they're going to not depart. And that's not the point. The point is that these principles are pointing you to the reality that you need something outside of yourself. Because friends, the reality is we still have foolishness in our own hearts, don't we? We still have foolishness in our own hearts that want to make ourselves the center. We have foolishness in our own hearts that that make us want to parent in a way that's either child-centered for my kid to love me or parent in such a way for other people to love me based on how they see me parenting my kids. So we need help outside of ourselves. And so where do we look? We need to look to God. We look to him. And when we look to him, do you know what we see? We see a God who actually had a, had a son. And not the son you're thinking of. <laughs> you're all probably thinking about Jesus, aren't you? <laughs> That's not the son I'm talking about. He is his God's son. We'll get to him. But he had a different son. Look at Hosea 11 with me up on the screen. Hosea 11, 1 says this. When I, Israel, or when, when Israel, sorry, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. You see, God actually, he actually decided to be a father to a people. And he actually rescued, dedicated that people to himself. He said, you aren't great in number, but I, I'm gonna make you my child. You are going to be mine, dedicated for my purposes. And then, you know, God knew those people perfectly, upwards, backwards. I mean, he knew everything about them, and he loved them, and he instructed them. He gave them a law that you could never replicate. I mean, he was just so good at teaching them. And God corrected them, corrected them through the prophets, corrected them through many leaders and judges. He corrected them perfectly. And you would think, if there was a father who would have a son that wouldn't depart from him, it would be God. Right? Of course God's son is not going to depart from him. He's a perfect father. But look at verse 2. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. Friends, that is our condition. We have a perfect father perfect in every way, knows us perfectly, has dedicated us for his purposes, has taught us perfectly, corrects us gently and lovingly, and we go our own way. And what does this God do? Does he say, good riddance, good luck, come back later, don't ask for money. 
puts on flesh. He comes as his very own son. And he comes after us. Came after his departed ones. After you and me, the ones who foolishly went our own way. And then he walked in the way we could never walk. Perfectly obedient to every command. Perfectly living for the awesomeness of God in the way that God is worthy. The person of Jesus did that. And yet he was put to death. Put to death between two fools. As if he were a fool for us. So that we could be adopted. So we could be loved. So we could be known. So we could be trained in God's family. Friends, that is the wisdom we need. Our children, more than anything, need to see parents that are lead repenters. They need to see parents that are crying out for the mercy of God on their lives. They need to hear us saying, I'm sorry, I did not do that well. I did not train you well. I did not correct you well. I did not know you well there. I, I, I was thinking it was about me, and I'm sorry. And then they need to see lead rejoicers and receivers of grace in God because that grace is always there for us to receive as parents. That wisdom is never, never lacking and far away. God is ready to dispense it at any point in time. Friends, I want you to hear this. First Corinthians 1.30 says this about wisdom. It says, Christ is our wisdom. Christ is our wisdom. And so, in Christ, God has made a commitment to you. He has dedicated you to himself for his purposes. In Christ, God knows you. Not just the facts, but he knows you in a relational way. In Christ, God teaches and trains you through his spirit. He makes his word come alive, and he brings to mind the way of Jesus. And in Christ, God corrects you. Hebrews 12 actually says that God corrects you as a father corrects and disciplines a son, and he does it in order to train you in righteousness. God is doing that in Christ for you. Friends, and this is the best news, is that that Christ said he'll never depart from you. Even though you and I are so prone to depart from him, he'll never leave us or forsake us. Our job is just to come to him, to know his grace and his love, to see his awesomeness in the gospel and in the cross. And as we do that, what is going to happen in our parenting? We're going to be ever more ready to, to say, this Jesus is awesome. I just want you to know him. I want you to follow him. I want you to learn from him. I want you to be with him. I never, ever want you to part from him. So King's Cross, that's what I pray for your children. Whether you are single and you help in the kids' ministry, you're a parent, a grown parent, a new parent, that you would be pointing your kids to Jesus, the one who will never depart from them, and know his love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this family. I pray that that you would do just that, that you would cause us to know Christ who is our wisdom, and that because of him, we would, we would dedicate our children, we would know our children, we would teach our children, we correct our children, but at the end of the day, we wouldn't trust in any of it 
We wouldn't trust in any of it. We would trust in Christ. We would trust in God. We would look to him for wisdom. We'd call upon him for wisdom and that he would show us wisdom is here in Christ. Wisdom has presented himself in the person of Jesus and we'd rest there and we'd point our kids there. In Jesus' name, amen.